When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello once again, everybody. It's another edition of THN on the Q, brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Will McLaren. He's Jamie Tozer. Behind the scenes is Connor Somerville, who's already told me no to two ideas before we even came to air. This is pretty impressive. You know, I think, you know, if if everybody had the team spirit that Jamie and I had, you know, you guys don't know what you're missing in terms of content. The discussions we have pre and post uh, recording, it's, you know, I'd probably rate higher than the actual talk about the queue. Um, but, you know, we'll just have to leave everybody in speculation. So instead, we're going to talk about what we always talk about, not only the queue, but uh, the, I don't know, J- Jamie, I'd be disrespectful to call it the unofficial start of the playoffs, obviously. But, like, let's be honest with ourselves. Here's where things really kick into high gear. It's semifinals just around the corner, starting this weekend. And in a year where there were four clear-cut favorites out of 18 teams, uh, it stands to reason that the, that the drive has really just begun, really, for, uh, for a few of these teams. Yeah, it's funny you say that. You don't mean to be disrespectful, but like, I feel kind of the same way. Like I'm not trying to, to belittle the teams that we've lost along the way here, but like, it feels like this, is the, like this is the real playoff starting now. Right. Um, I think we especially all, considering we all that knew. you have a cl- you have a close tie to one of these teams. So, I mean, you know, you got to walk the line, and you know, I I guess you know I'm I'm a Moncton uh, I'm a former Moncton resident uh, who actually was on the final broadcast of the season for that team on Sunday in uh, in Halifax. So I, I there's certainly no rooting interest there, but there's ties to the area. So uh, yeah, you, you want to keep things as respectful as possible. But at the end of the day, yeah. you know, you're looking at four teams who have combined to go 32 and two so far in the postseason. So um, between the Sherbrooke Phoenix, Halifax Mooses, Quebec Ramparts, and the Gatineau Olympic, Jamie, there's a couple of teams here that are going to be uh, getting used to something that they haven't been used to doing in a very long time, and that's losing. Yep, this is going to be, it's an interesting few weeks coming up because like we mentioned, like this is this is kind of the start of it. It's been a kind of uneventful um, couple weeks. Uh, I think some of these teams have probably been on, you know, cruise control because um, mm-hmm. they haven't really been tested so much. You know, there have been a couple road bumps along the way. You know, Halifax lost a game to Moncton. Uh, Gatineau weirdly lost that first round matchup to St. John. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's been pretty smooth sailing. Um, I'm, I'm stoked for these matchups, especially this Halifax Sherbrooke series, just because there's so much, uh, firepower, um, so many stars, um, it's going to be fun. And I think the fun part about this is that I, I don't know if there's really, um, two favorites come that you can really clearly say are above the other two teams, which I think is a little unique for, uh, the final four, I feel like the final four is typically, you know, one team or maybe two teams that still stick out. Um, but it really feels like any of these teams have a shot um, at winning the league title. Well, I guess the the one storyline that I've kind of plucked out of it, and that's just based on 
you know, partly based on what I've seen, but also par partly based on uh, on the opinion of a few other people. Um, it, you know, we've and I, I we've touched upon this already on this on this podcast, and it's it seems like the two teams in the West were just built differently than the two teams in the East. Uh, you know, Halifax is just absolutely explosive uh, defensively. There's there's no real huge big body guys uh, like your prototypical shutdown guy uh, patrolling the blue line in Halifax. Uh, and they have an underrated goaltender, uh, in my mind, probably the most underrated in the league in Mathis Russo. Mm -hmm. Quebec, you know what? You could say a lot about a lot of those same things about them. Um, they play, you know, they definitely have a little bit more finesse in the lineup. Uh, the, the skill level is very high offensively. Now they do have, you know, defensively, you know, they have guys like Evan Noss. They have, uh, yep. you know, Jeremy Langlois, who ended up being, uh, in Patrick Waugh's own words, an unexpectedly big part of the puzzle mm -hmm. come over from Cape Breton. Um, and another guy who I think probably doesn't get as much credit as, as he should in William Russo and Nets. But then you get those two teams out West, Sherbrooke and Gatineau, who just, you know, when you think playoff team, the team that's designed for the long haul can check you down. They're big. They're, they're, they're maybe a little bit more punishing. Those two, those two teams are out West. I think there's a lot, there are a number of similarities in just the composition of the Phoenix and the Olympic. And it does vary a little bit from the two teams in the East. So it, I guess for me, it just, it looks like who's going to win out. Is it going to be that prototypical big body, you know, really heavy, hard to play against style that the West has, or are the super skilled guys, the guy, the teams that are maybe a little less known for playing the heavy game and more known for being just explosive offensively, are they going to uh, prevail? And the nice thing, of course, Jamie, is the fact that we're now in some crossovers, we're going to get that answer in round three as West meets East. Yeah. And like this, the Southfax Sherbrooke series, um, I feel like the, you know, the offense is kind of similar. I feel like, you know, they've got a lot of stars on both ends, Wah, Melanson, Gill, Gauthier, uh, and then the Mooseheads, you know, Dume, Lawrence, uh, Doucette, LaRue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then when you kind of look at the defense, it's, you can kind of see where the West maybe has a little bit of a, a, a better matchup. You know, you look at the, the Sherbrooke defensive core. I think most people are probably going to take, you know, Hines and Gaudet and Spotcheck over Halifax's defensive core. And that's not to say mm -hmm. Halifax's defensive core isn't good, but it's, it's, I think Sherbrooke's maybe a little bit deeper and a little bit more higher end at the top of it, especially with, um, Probably a little bit of uncertainty with Cameron. Why not come, still coming back from uh, mm -hmm. an injury? Probably still has a little bit of rust. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting matchup. And, you know, the, the whole the cliche of cliches, the defense wins championships. Um, I, I think Sherbrooke maybe has a little bit of an edge. But having said that, there's one game that still sticks out. And I know you were at this game, Will, as well, mm -hmm. the, the Halifax game against Quebec. Um, right. And like Halifax went toe to toe defensively with Quebec. And I feel like the Mooseheads have maybe played down a little bit to their opponents in the playoffs so far. Um, but here, like, it's showtime now. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like they're going to really raise their game. And I'm curious to see if they can do it um, against Sherbrooke, um, who maybe has a little bit more firepower than Quebec does. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you make a good point there, Jamie, about, you know, Halifax, you know, maybe playing down a little bit. Obviously, they, they stumbled in the first game of the series against Moncton here in round two. 
Uh, and even you know, game five, don't fool yourself. If you're in the building, and Jamie, both of us were in the building for that. Yes, it was a 7-3 final. Yes, the shots were one-sided in, in favor of Halifax. But for me, anyway, I don't know about you, this felt like a game that the, the score and the shot total didn't exactly re- reflect the play between the yeah. two teams. You know, Moncton, first of all, partially depleted by injury. You know, they were missing their leading scorer in Yohan Loshing. They were, le- they were missing uh, um, Oscar Plandowski on defense. So they were running on fumes. And, you know, right in the onset, even if they were full strength, they were behind the eight ball, behind this uh, Halifax team. It just felt like Halifax was just kind of playing possum for, yep. you know, extended periods of time. And then somewhere around the middle of the second period, uh, a guy who I can honestly say was the first period, the first period of that game was the first extended period all season, maybe in which he did not stick out to me. Jordan Dume turned around in the second period and said, Oh, I guess it's time to, you know, put three points in the bank. And he ended up with a goal and two assists by the end of the period. Mm-hmm. And the Moose had to score two in the final 30 seconds of that second period to take, uh, I believe it's five, two lead at that point. And that was the story of the game and ultimately the story of the season. Well, you can't yeah. do that anymore time you know time's up you know you've had your the the rehearsals are over it's time for the big guys to come to the table so to speak uh so it'd be very interesting what happens there and you mentioned cam wine another one is david um sorry david morovich on the back end for the moose says not quite sure what his timetable is but he did not play um the uh clinching game against the mooseheads so um Say again, not sure uh, if he's back in time for game one on Saturday night in Halifax, but um, at the very least, you know, if he's if he is in the lineup, he is like many, uh, many players at this time of the year, not going to be at 100 um, percent. The other series, of course, Quebec Ramparts and the Gatineau Olympic, two teams that, well, Gatineau, of course, has been building for four years towards this and. Mm-hmm. They made their statement at the trade deadline, obviously getting LaPena, who I know, Jamie, at the time you thought was probably the biggest uh, acquisition of the trade period. Uh, they also picked up Riley Kidney, who I thought was the biggest acquisition of the trade period. And uh, it turns out that the biggest acquisition of them all might have been Alexi Gendra, who's <laughs> rounding out that top line with That's Kidney yeah. and uh, Olivier Nadeau up in, in Gatineau. And they just, like, yeah. nobody's been able to contain this this line. I'm curious to see if uh, Quebec, who, like, as we already said, they are no slouches on defense with guys like Langlois and Kamarov and Savlon and Evan Noss. Yeah. Uh, are they going to be the ones that can finally contain this group for an extended period of time? Because up to this point, nobody else has. And at the same time, you know, for that matter, what is a guy like Nathan? Where does a guy like Nathan Gaucher fit in here? You know, he he just won the top defensive forward award in the queue, deservedly so. I feel he is the top defensive forward in the league. You know. Uh, He's going to be pressed into action, but can that core um, manage to keep not only that explosive top line, but even that strong second line with Zach mm-hmm. Dean on it uh, f- uh, from scoring uh, in bunches like they have all throughout the, the uh, playoffs and even in the regular season? Yeah, Gatineau's, Gatineau's so deep up front. like It's going to be a real challenge. But I, I think Quebec, if there's any team that's built to really – challenge them i think like it's the ramparts and you know they've got a pretty good back end but i also feel like they play pretty good structure defensively throughout their lineup um compared to what some other teams might be able might be doing so i think i think that's a pretty good matchup and i i think quebec's going to give them a test um i i I would still pick gatineau to come out of this uh personally but i think i if quebec comes out of it i wouldn't be shocked um but you mentioned lapena i think lapena is kind of the wild card in this situation i 
he's been not that he's there's been a few games where he's barely been tested, but still uh, only given up nine goals in nine games, and he has four <laughs> shutouts already, which is insane. <laughs> Uh, and also extremely experienced uh, compared to a lot of players uh, in this year's playoffs, uh, thanks to COVID. Um, you know, led Charlottetown the whole way. Uh, I think he's kind of the wild card in the series. And I think if it comes down to one factor, I, I definitely think Gatineau has the edge in that. So I think that that can be a, a key key part of this series. And what's interesting between those two goaltenders in Russo and Lapena. Um, LaPena has experience both ways. He's been on teams where he's faced a ton of shots a night earlier this season in Charlottetown, obviously. He was playing behind a leakier defense in Drummondville at one point in time as well. Uh, but he's also been able to prove that he can shut it down while facing, you know, 15, 20 shots a night with the Olympics since he came over in the trade. Whereas William Russo and, you know, Patrick Watt actually addressed this in talking to him before the playoffs began. Um, his comment was, you know, he, he is he has the ability william russo has the ability to compete even when there are long stretches of play in which he doesn't see the puck and i mean it's obvious because he's been doing it now for two years straight i mean this quebec team has been very strong on the back end during his entire time with the ramparts so it'll be interesting to see um that's obviously going to change to some degree we don't know by how much but um how russo will be tested um, remains to be seen. Obviously, the last big test he's had like this, Jamie, was last year against the Schwinnigan Cataracts in, in the semifinal, um, a series in which, of course, the Ramparts lost in the, in the deciding fifth game. So, you know, maybe, you know, I agree with you. LaPena on the surface should be, could be the better of the two netminders. But I think there's a little bit of a rationale why, uh, that goes a little bit deeper as to why that may be. So that, that'll be another, I think, uh, interesting subplot to follow as those two teams get ready to do battle starting Friday night at the Videotron Center in Quebec City. Um, of course, uh, both of those teams uh, combined uh, eight and one, or sorry, uh, 16 and one going into the series as our okay. Halifax and Sherbrooke is, yeah, is, is that good to steal a line from uh, some other unknown podcast? Um, and uh, Quebec yes, and Gatineau too, they haven't, they haven't played each other. They really haven't played each other in the second half. Their last time they played each other was January 7th. So they haven't really yeah. seen the real post trade deadline no. of the, of the exactly. Tournament. And that would have been, and of course that would have been before uh, Nathan Gaucher came back yep. from the world juniors as well. Yep. So yeah, there's a there's there's a lot there's a lot there to to chew on. Makes things even more interesting. And I think I speak for Jamie as well when I implore you if you have the ability, either in person or online or TV, whatever, to watch any of these games, do yourself a favor. As entertaining as the Stanley Cup playoffs have been, the the uh, third round of the Gilles Courteau Trophy playoffs is going to give it a run for its money. And I All the buildings, very the buildings are buildings are going to be electric. It's going to be wild, yeah, 100%. Um, especially especially Sherbrooke um, and Gatineau, the mm-hmm. the smaller buildings. I know those those games are already sold out. Uh, Quebec, I'm sure, will have a huge crowd, and then Halifax, I'm sure, will be pushing sell it too. So this is uh, this going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. Now, of course, on the other side of things, uh, we have an event that's taking place before the beginning of the third round. 
involving a few other teams in the league. And that's, of course, the draft lottery. For uh, information purposes, we're recording on a Tuesday night, as per almost usual. Uh, the draft lottery takes place Wednesday night. It will be conducted live on RDS if you have access to that uh, channel, 6.30 Eastern Time, 7.30 Atlantic Time. And how the Q draft lottery works, for those who aren't familiar, the bottom five teams based on the regular season standings are eligible for the lottery. The lowest ranked team, the 18th place team, gets nine ping pong balls. The fifth worst record or the 14th place team gets one ping pong ball in the middle. 17th place gets six, 17th place gets six, 16th place gets three. 15th place gets two. Now, where the caveat comes in here, because, of course, this is junior hockey, and since it's not the OHL and the QMJHL kind of throws around first-round picks <laughs> rather liberally, we'll say, when uh, going going for uh, championship runs, uh, there's actually only one of those five teams that still holds their original pick, and that's the team right in the middle, 16th place, Blaineville, Bobriand, Armada. So, uh in a non-lottery world, they pick third. In a lottery world, they have a 14% chance of moving up to first overall. And then the others, uh, we're going to see the Shkidmi Sagnia uh, with the greatest odds. They have that. They have the Active Athers Titans pick. Moncton Wildcats, second best odds. They have the Valdor Forers pick. Valdor Forer have the fourth best odds because they have the St. John Sea Dogs pick. And Ramuski has the the uh, lone ball in the lottery machine, they have the Charlottetown Islanders original first round pick. So, Jamie, um, you've actually been, we always mention your close association with the Sea Dogs. Uh, and if there's any team that's um, familiar with winning the draft lottery, it's uh, the guys in, uh, yes. in St. John's. So, um, from that standpoint, uh, any thoughts uh, with uh, what's coming up here on the, on Wednesday night um, from from any aspect, whether it's a prospect, whether it's a selection? Um, what are your thoughts? Well, congrats to Valdor because Valdor has St. John's pick. So uh, congrats to them on winning the draft lottery. That's how it always works, right? <laughs> so congrats to Valdor. That's great for them. Uh, can't, that, that pick actually came over in the, the now kind of infamous John Fulmue trade. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, um, it's kind of an interesting lottery though. Cause I feel like you've got like three teams, Kudami, Ramuski, and Moncton, who are all kind of at a similar spot in the rebuild. Um, mm -hmm. and then you've got Valdor and the Armada who are kind of also at similar spots and that they're pretty much at the very beginning. And these are going to kind of, this, if they win, this will probably be like the franchise player. They, they probably try and build around moving forward. Uh, whereas the other three, I think this is going to complement their core a lot more so it'll be um kind of intriguing to see how this plays out and it looks like uh, from what i know being a huge draft expert that i am uh caleb denoye the brother of elliot it's looking like mm -hmm. he's going to be the uh, first overall pick so the team that likely yeah. wins this lottery will probably end up with uh caleb denoye yeah elliot of course played for the wildcats for a couple of seasons yes. before Heading to Halifax, um, you mentioned um, Valdor and Blainville, both on the, the uh, first steps of, uh, of the building process. And what, what amazed me out of all of this, um, Jamie, is the fact, keep in mind, the Blainville Bobriand Armada started this season expected to be one of uh, a contender. Yep. You know, and you know, a series of, of unfortunate events took place, yeah. you know, losing obviously Patrick Gay, 
who they acquired from Charlottetown. He never reported. He went pro. Um, William Trudeau, same thing, also from Charlottetown, never reported. And just things never clicked. But this is a team that had made two major acquisitions in the offseason coming into 2022-2023 in Josh Lawrence and um, and the aforementioned Patrick Gay. And they still held on to that first-round draft pick of theirs. So kind of rather serendipitous that they were able to uh, they're able to uh, accelerate this building process with a pick that you might not have expected them to have at this time of year yeah. based on the direction the team was heading. Yeah. And also just, you know, kind of a cautionary tale of what teams are going to be doing over the next uh, couple months. Cause uh, I think there are people who like, who probably thought the Armada were going to be a top three team in the league um, around this time last year. And here they are, you know, barely, uh, you know, almost finishing last overall. So, um, you know, kind of just goes to show you how, um, you know, just a few pieces of bad luck can really can really impact your your whole franchise uh, moving forward. But certainly a chance mm-hmm. to accelerate um, this rebuild now, uh, this year's draft. Also of note, the Moncton Wildcats, this is one of three first round picks that they have in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Ramuski Oceanic a little bit more here in a couple of seconds. And uh, we're also going to have a commentary about the Blainville Bobby and Armada as well in our prospects uh, profile. There was one guy in that team in particular who was uh, one of the key parts of the future in Blainville. But uh, before we get to that, let's talk about something that, uh, speaking of the Moncton Wildcats, has come into focus in recent times. Uh, there was a uh, report in the uh, Journal de Montréal I believe Richard Trotsky, head of officiating, has um, made some commentary on this. Starting next season, all QMJHL arenas will have more replay camera angles available to review uh, goals uh, when they are waved off or disputed on the ice. Um, and why I say that speaking of the Moncton Wildcats, of course, this is we might end up calling this the Drakkar rule. Uh, at the end of it all, Jamie, uh, yeah. based on what happened in the overtime of Game 7 of that first round series where the Baker Modra Kerr uh, thought they had a goal. They thought they scored uh, in the overtime session. Um, it was in, it was waved off by Mario Maia, who was the official at the time. And I don't point out Mario uh, specifically. I just point out because he was the official who waved off the goal. Um, and from his vantage point, when you see him skate in, there, there was some credence to why he did that, obviously. Um, but what compounded things was there was not a replay in the building at the Avenir Center that could conclusively show what Mar- the re- that uh, could overturn Mario Maia's rationale for um, disallowing that goal. That being a Bakemo player um, impeded on uh, goaltender Jacob Steinman, and therefore the goal was waved off. Um, then all of a sudden a reverse angle somehow made its way, made the rounds on social media here in the last couple of weeks, which kind of gave a little more indication that there was no goaltender interference and that should have counted. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, we're not going to have the war room and we're not going to Toronto here, Jamie, to review any goals, but, um, I, I guess the way I look at it, it's one of those situations where it's a trial and error thing. 
Um, you don't know you have an issue until the issue arises sometimes. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately for the Bacon Modric, it costs them a playoff series victory. Uh, but uh, the league is doing what they can, uh, based on the reports anyway, uh, to to rectify the uh, the gap in uh, the situation. Yeah, I think there's a controversial goal called off in the Rouen series too at some point for some goaltender interference as well. So uh, a bit of a recurring theme in these playoffs. And I feel like this is just a kind of a long time coming at this point. Um, I, I think that this is overdue and um, you know, I think this is definitely going to be good for the league and hopefully, um, hopefully this doesn't increase the length of reviews, which I don't think is really right. honestly though. Like I don't think that's really the Q's problem. I think that's more of a NHL led problem where, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of have to set the precedent on how to get these reviews fed up and, and junior hockey can kind of follow with that. Um, one of the things I've, I've always found interesting is that, and I think the Zach Lutheroux hit on Yon Loshing is a good example. I think that hit in, let's, let's say, a smaller building with non, you know, Scotiabank Center uh, video quality. I've, mm-hmm. I think uh, Leroux might have been suspended for that hit because I think, you know, they had a perfect angle, zoomed in, HD, Clearly showing LaRue not hitting Loshing's head. That hit in another building. I don't know if you have that correct angle with the good lighting, et cetera, that shows that he didn't make head contact. Um, so I think, you know, the Mooseheads are fortunate that they were able to keep LaRue in their lineup because they had that great video quality. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised teams haven't invested more on their own um, to, to put that high quality uh, footage in their own buildings for perfect reasons just like that. Um, and I've also always been amazed too. Like I remember when Rogers used to do CDOS games, the, the re- re- replay officials didn't have access to the Rogers feed. Um, so a lot of times there would be plays hey, that. And we had some great cameraman, oh, I know. Man, pal, let me tell you. And there were some, people. there were some great, uh, great footage that came out well after the game <laughs> clearly yes. showed, clearly showed things that shouldn't have been called a certain way, but the oh. officials didn't have that hooked up. So yeah. I, I think there's some, some, more easy solutions that they could do, you know, plug in some stuff here and there, but um, obviously it's not that easy. And I'm not an IT guy, uh, yeah. but I think, th- I think this is long overdue. Yeah. But you, you say that, you know, it's quote unquote, not that easy. It's a lot easier now than when, yeah. even when video replay became a thing in the league, uh, you know, but, I don't even, I can't remember how long it's been now. I think it's been at least 10 or 15 years. Um, but, uh, you know, to that point, you know, there's a lot of buildings and, you know, we, I can't speak for what angles are in what buildings, but you watch any number of games. In fact, the majority of games online and clearly those cameras following the action are only showing one side of the ice. There is no reverse angle. There's no camera on the opposite side that they can switch to. And obviously, though, that you talk about technology, obviously, you know, you can't have a switcher available to, you know, broadcast an online game. I get that, especially in certain locales. But it is something worth noting, you know, it, putting an extra bank of cameras down, you know, the opposite side, you know, if, if they're on the penalty box side only, you know, put them on the bench side as well. That nowadays, you know, a relatively small investment is going to pay dividends for some teams, some some year. And I, I think back to, you know, we talked about this guy last week, Marco Scandella um, of, the, of um, the St. Louis Blues, um, who was, he was suspended for 15 games in this league about 15 years ago for throwing a flying elbow, an alleged flying elbow. And it was in Valdor. 
and the camera was the camera work. I still have yet to see a clip of that. And there's only one clip of him actually throwing the elbow. He throws a high hit, mm-hmm. but uh, how they how they uh, determined a 15 game suspension, I'm still not quite clear on. And the video evidence was not great. Yes, he did something that he should have been suspended for, but 15 games. I haven't seen the video proof. Not to say he did it or he didn't do it. I did. I have yet to see the video proof of it, and that's another shining example right there. Like it could easily happen. And you talk about the Larue hit. That is a perfect example. With all due respect to our good friend Adam Lunn on the Moncton Wildcast, who's the only person on earth that thought that was an illegal hit. Sorry, Adam, you're wrong. But and thanks for listening. But uh, but uh, yeah, it's just it's it's for the betterment of the leagues, betterment of the teams. Uh, bear, and for the uh, for the betterment of the uh, players who could be uh, dinged uh, when they are actually uh, proven innocent, so uh, good to, good to see some uh, movement in that regard. And speaking of movement, and speaking of Ramuski, as we mentioned, there's been a little bit of activity in the last couple of days on the south side of the St. Lawrence. Uh, Serge Beausoleil has been removed as the head coach of the Oceanic. Uh, longest tenured, tenured coach with one team in the QMJHL up until the point that uh, um, he was let go, current coaches, up until yesterday. Uh, he had been there since 2011, saw the team through a President's Cup title in 2015 and tripped to the final in his first year behind the bench when he lost to the Jamie Tozer-led uh, St. John's Dogs in a four-game sweep back in 2012. Yeah, yeah you, you did good. You, Turk, and Mike Kelly did a great job. Dream team. That's, you know, uh, Hall of Fame material for sure. Uh, Serge uh, walks away from Ramuski with 487 wins to his credit. Obviously the championship, as we mentioned. Um, and the old cliche at every level, I guess, Jamie, is that coaches are hired to be fired. But uh, it's not very often nowadays that they're hired and last this long before any sort of shakeup takes place. Yeah, like kind of a surprising fire to me anyway. Um, you know, Ramuski is still kind of in the early stage of this rebuild. So, you know, didn't have high expectations, managed to make it to the second round of the playoffs. Uh, had a pretty good first round against Shikudmi on the big ice. Uh, impressive, right? You guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. But, good, uh, yeah, round. I mean, yes. <laughs> like Ramuski, I mean, they must not, they must just feel that Bosley isn't going to be the right fit for this coach because they're, they're starting to hit the upswing of this rebuild, right? And uh, mm. they're probably going to be one of the better, expected to be anyway, one of the better teams in the league in the next few years. Um, so obviously they want to go in a different direction uh, behind the bench. And Bosley, you know, he's certainly not the, doesn't coach the most exciting style, but it's structured and it's effective. Um, it's been very successful, obviously. Um, and you know, it might not, his, his teams might not be the most exciting at times, but he's certainly, uh, always been one of the more exciting coaches behind the bench. Very vocal, very vocal. And also one of the, one of the few coaches, I know we mentioned this before on a previous episode, how we kind of appreciate Patrick Waugh for speaking what he believes in the media. And, uh, Serge Bosley is also kind of like that too. He's not afraid to speak his mind, um, in the media, which is kind of rare, um, mm-hmm. in the league now for a league that's kind of well known for a lot of that drama, uh, in yeah. his history yeah and i funny you say that because there was a little bit of that going on yeah. in the last round between the oceanic and the ramparts so uh, uh of course obviously uh the oceanic lost in four straight but you know you go back to that first round series uh, jamie against Shikudami, where they um you know they they wanted rather say convincingly but at times at times 
kind of convincingly. Yes, it was, yeah. we expected Neither that to I go think. seven. Yeah, yeah, we expected to go seven when only went to five. So yeah. you know, he certainly got the most uh, out of his uh, out of his guys uh, in that series. But also, you know, Serge has gotten the most out of virtually every team that he's been put in charge of since his time in Rimouski began. Um, the the comment, although you hear the comments though, that came out from uh, Alexander Tangay, who is the uh, president of the Oceanic, um, the comments were we essentially we felt it was time for a shift in direction, and Serge is the only casualty of this change. So you know maybe maybe there's some reading to, uh, between the lines to be done there. Um, be curious to see where uh, Serge uh, winds up next because somebody's snapping that guy. Oh yeah. He's, he's going to be uh, he's going to be very very wanted I would imagine. Yeah, I'd say so, and uh, will no doubt be a success wherever he turns up next. So, and for information's sake, just to throw this out here, the longest tenured QMJHL coach with uh, one team, uh, current QMJHL coach with one team. I'm not going to ask you to answer that, uh, Jamie, because uh, you read the myth. Wait a minute. Did you read the missile? Oh, yeah. Who's the longest tenured current QMJHL coach with one team? I'm going to say it's Yannick Jean. Well done. Well, he could have easily like changed, just made up any name and put it in there. Fooled me. Could, I could hear maybe this is wrong. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not wrong because I stole this from Pat McNeil. Saw it on Twitter. Oh, there you go. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'd like to say that I would have arrived to it independently, but I probably wouldn't have thought of such a thing. Um, but Yannick's been in Shikudami since 2013 now and is uh, much like Serge Beausoleil was in Rimouski, uh, primed to uh, put his team uh, into the upper echelons of the standings. So we'll see. A, not even a lot of coaches just with like general Q experience either. Seems like there's a lot of, a lot, it's not a lot of, you know, lifers coaching right now. No, no, it, it seems like that's kind of gone by the wayside. It yeah. always used to be, you know, whether it's like a Guy Schoenert or Richard Martel or, yeah. or Ray Alpamont, guys like that. And some of them, you know, some of them are, are some of them just, you know, they, they change change careers. Richard Martel is now a member of parliament uh, for, for the Saginaw region. And sure. some guys just get, you know, old and yeah. age. Um so, you know, there's bound to be some turnover, but yeah, you're right. There was a long period with, uh, where there was a lot of recycling of guys and that seems to have gone uh, by the wayside. And Yanni John, Yanni John is basically part of the old boys club, if yeah. you want to call it that now. And, yeah. you know, here's a guy who, you know, he, I remember him as a player and he is not, he's been coaching for quite a while, but you know, not, you know, you know, not, this 20 or 30 year career yeah. yet, although no surprise, surprise, he's kind of closing in on it. So, yeah. but not as common as it used to be. I, I'll agree with you on that one. Um, let's talk about the NHL team profile. And we're going to go off tangent here because that's what we always do. And Connor loves it when we do this because we need to fill in every minute, minute of time available. Um, let's talk about the Winnipeg Jets. But before we talk about the prospects and the players in the NHL that are on the Jets, let's talk a little bit about the Winnipeg Whiteout. And it's time to make some people in Winnipeg very angry at us, Jamie. And if I got to fall on the sword, so be it. Stop sighing, Connor. If I got to fall on the sword on my own, whatever. Get the flurry graphic ready. Why are we... <laughs> yes, thank you. Now playing the role of Pete DeBoer, Will McClendon. <laughs> uh, I have the same haircut as him. Um, so... Uh, 
why are we having a whiteout, Jamie, for a team that's not wearing white? <laughs> yep, it's true. And like uh, we talked before the show, like just like can we just let the home team pick their jersey color? Like I feel like that's mm. the easiest solution here. Yep. I think they do that in baseball, sure. right? Um, I think so. Just yeah. seems like the easiest solution here. <laughs> seems, seems seems like it. Yes. But, uh, yeah, of course, the poor Jets, they are down 3-1 as we speak in their series against Vegas. A um, couple of cute guys in their roster. There's another guy that uh, I didn't put on the miss of here, but he's going to get a shout-out by, uh, by the end of this uh, segment. Um, nobody in the queue that has been drafted by the Jets. In fact, they haven't drafted a QJHL player since 2017, but the guy who they did pick that year, is in the AHL with the Manitoba Moose. That's Leon Gavanke, former Cape Breton Eagles, then Screaming Eagles defenseman. Um, before we go any further, you cannot pass go, Jamie, without telling everybody who may not know what is the name of the mascot of the Manitoba Moose. <laughs> oh, man. Can you do it? Can you do it? Honestly, best, I just... best uh... mascot name in North America. Honestly, I can't. I can't think of it, and I've been to a moose game. Mick E. Moose. Oh yes. Okay. Yes. There you go. That's like I think he might be. He might be the Jets mascot too. Oh really? eh? Yeah, I think he might do double duty, really double shifting the guy. Wow. Jeez. Guy gets around. I mean, it's in the same building, so I mean, he can you know just crawl into the underbelly the of the of the rink and just come out as needed so i mean it works out well so in, uh, in addition to kevanke there's jimmy oligny defense uh, former q defenseman tyler boland former 100 point guy with uh, serge Beausoleil's ramuski oceanic and thomas Garant, former quebec rampart who has uh, just recently started his pro career he graduated from the rampart back in 2021 and no there is no echl affiliation in the q in the uh, nhl i should say Two pretty prominent names, and unfortunately, one of them is not playing in this series. Pierre-Luc Dubois and Nikolai Ehlers. Thoughts on any of those guys, Jamie? Yeah, well, uh, you know, we've talked about the Sea Dogs a lot, so we'll keep it going. Dubois played in two of the two of the great Sea Dogs playoff series. I, you know, such a such kind of built to be a playoff performer, really. Uh, such a big body. Uh, played in that game seven game series in the second round, twenty sixteen. Um, and then played with the Armada as a member of the Cape Breton Eagles or Screaming Eagles at the time. Um, and then with the Armada played against St. John in the 2017 final. Um, and he was a huge, it was a huge uh, loss for the Armada, even though he played in, in all four games, he played uh, three of those four games with a separated shoulder. Um, and the Armada only scored four goals that entire series. And if he was healthy, I think, you know, maybe the Armada could have given St. John a little bit more of a, of a test, but that was a huge loss for the Armada and, um, just goes to show the impact he had at the junior level. Um, yeah, and Ehlers, I mean, I also forgot that Ehlers and uh, Timo Meyer were taken in the same import draft, <laughs> which is yep. like a ri- ridiculous. That maybe is the ridiculous. Best, maybe the yes. best import draft of all time. There's probably an argument for it. Uh, well, you talk about playoff series. Nikolai yeah. Ehlers and Timo Meyer pretty much single-handedly took the Halifax yeah. Mooseheads to game seven of the second round in 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just, it was uh, unbelievable. First, Ehler scored in overtime in game seven to beat Shawinigan. I think it was a five versus 12 matchup back when it was the one, the one versus 16 matchup. Sorry, five versus 12. And Shawinigan was the fifth place team. Ehlers knocked them out in game seven overtime. And then they took the Moncton Wildcats to a game seven 
um, pretty much drug them, drug them kicking and screaming into a deciding game seven in the second round. I've, you know, I've honestly seen, you know what, in junior hockey, a single player can make a difference or a couple of players can absolutely make a difference much more so than in the NHL. I've never seen it to that extreme, quite that extreme. Maybe Alexander Radlov with the Ramparts. Um, But other than that, no, yeah, Bedard, same way. Took him to, yeah, exactly. Took him to game seven, took Saskatoon to game seven. Same idea. Um, but just fascinating that it, it was just, you weren't, you honestly felt watching the Mooseheads in the playoffs that you're, you weren't trying to beat the Mooseheads. You're trying to beat these two guys. Yeah. And they gave it everything. So very impressive. Um, and also did the same thing with the Danish junior team as well at the World Juniors for a couple of years. Um, so from prospects of the past, let's talk about prospects of the future. It's our 2023 draft prospect of the week. And we talked about Blaineville. Let's talk about a guy who um, was a bright spot on a um, on a uh, rough uh, season, in a rough season in Blaineville and will be a big part of things in the next couple of years. Jonathan Foshaw, center for the Armada, and one of the rare guys on this list, Jamie, who was actually passed over his first time through the NHL draft. Yeah, definitely kind of seems like he might be a late bloomer here. And, um, you know, a 2020 draft pick of the Armada. So his rookie season was that that weird 2020-2021 season when there's barely any games. So it may have put him a little bit behind, but he really flourished this season. Uh, 25 goals, 40 assists, 65 points. Uh, like you mentioned, one of the really one of the only few bright spots for the Armada this season. What was a, a pretty rough, rough campaign. Um you know, certainly a key player for the Armada moving forward. Um, could be also a good trade piece if they decide to go that route. But um, yeah, kind of curious to see if he does end up getting picked. You know, we've seen some teams kind of favor these older guys in the draft. There's certainly been quite a few success stories of guys who are 19 uh, going on to have great pro careers. So uh, I'm, I'll be curious to see on draft day if, uh, if the team takes a, a gamble on him. Yeah, yeah, a few guys like that in the queue this year, and we are we've already talked about Justin Gill, who's been mm-hmm. passed over a couple of times. Um, uh, Maxine Pellerin's on the list as well. We haven't talked about him yet, but I'm sure he'll come up in a in a future episode as a as a key prospect because he should be. Um, but yeah, Fauchon, uh that he could go. I agree with you either way. I, is he part of the future in Blaineville? How fast can they rebuild it? They'll probably have him at 20 if he's drafted at 18. There's a lot of variables there that uh, Bruce Richardson and crew will need to uh, siphon through um, as uh, Fauchon, first of all, gets attention to NHL scouts, but also uh, gets attention from other teams in the league uh, as they uh, take their march towards uh, QMJHL titles. Uh, and by the way, I just want to quickly go back on one thing. I said there's one guy whose name I was going to mention in that Jets segment, uh, Rick Bonus. Former, oh, nice. former Q player, nice. uh, played for the Ramparts back in the 70s. Of course, the head coach in Winnipeg, uh, close ties to Halifax down here, close ties to where I came from in Moncton, yes. and also uh, a friend through the Maritime NHLers for Kids Golf Tournament every year. And You'll never meet a guy more passionate about a charitable endeavor than Rick, who is one of the co-founders of that uh, golf tournament. And if there's one guy on the face of this earth who – deserves to win a Stanley cup at yeah. some point in his life bones is the guy it's yeah. not looking very good right now for poor Rick, but you know, so at some point in time, he just keeps coming back. Hopefully he comes back at some point and he does get his name on the trophy. 
And he was wearing the Nova Scotia pin on his uh, on his jacket there. Always does. The, Always know, does. Courtesy, night. courtesy of his uh, of his wife Judy, another fantastic person. So uh, all the best to them as uh, the Jets try and get out of uh, of that hole, and uh, best of luck for them as their tournament goes to Moncton uh, this summer. So on that positive note, we will shut it down for another week. By the time you see us again, we will be halfway through round three and we'll have a hopefully a better indication but probably not as to who the two teams will be face will be uh, punching their ticket to the league final so for jamie tozer i'm will mclaren reminding you once again you've been watching and listening to thn on the queue brought to you by bet mgm we'll see you back here in a week's time